<laughs> Good morning. Yeah, I threw you off a little bit there, didn't you? Didn't I? Yeah, you always expect me to do everything the same way. I don't always do stuff the same way. But anyway, good morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. With all the things going on in the world, as the world changes right before your eyes, you may be inclined to think that you are powerless. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't think so. And here's what he has to say in John chapter 10, verses 9 to 15. He says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am the door. And if, third class condition, if in the Greek, if anyone enters through me, third class condition is maybe you will, maybe you won't, you have a choice, he will be saved. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am the door, and anyone who enters through me, he will be saved. And he will come in and out, and he will find pasture, which means his daily needs will be met by God. John 10.10. The thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy the sheep. But I, the Lord Jesus Christ, came so that believers in Christ would have the resurrection life and have it abundantly. John 10.11. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. For the sheep. That's the difference between the Lord Jesus Christ and Buddha, the Lord Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Pope, the Lord Jesus Christ and Allah, the Lord Jesus Christ and Muhammad. What did the Lord Jesus Christ do? He left his station as deity to take on the form of human being, completely humiliating himself so that he could die for you personally. And you personally is any person on this planet who has ever been on this planet. That's what he did. And that distinguishes him and makes him different from everybody else. So the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came so that believers would have the resurrection life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, He who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters the flock. See, the hired hand is self-focused. They don't think about their responsibility. They think about themselves in times of trouble. John 10, 13. He flees because he's a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. This is the Lord talking. How many people do you have in your life? who are the hired hands who don't care about the sheep. John 10, 14, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and his own are believers in Christ, the sheep, and my own know me. We know the Lord as well. John 10, 15, and just as God the Father knows me, I know God the Father. See, there's the thing. If you claim to be a Christian, If you're walking around in your Christian uniform, don't you think you ought to know a little bit about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, there's only one way to know about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's through his word. And if you don't study the word, you don't know jack about Jesus Christ, and that's what most Christians are like. Most Christians are cafeteria Christians. They pick and choose what they want to believe. 
Most Christians are closet Christians. They aren't verbal about the fact that they're Christians. They're, in fact, embarrassed about the fact that they're Christians because they think that if they say anything about the fact that they're Christian, that they're going to get persecuted for it, and they're going to have to defend the faith that they have. Well, yeah, you do. Why wouldn't you? You defend the person you're in a relationship with. If somebody starts bagging on the person you're in a relationship with, you defend them, but you don't want to defend your God, the one who created you. And that's, that's the, 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 the dilemma for a lot of Christians who are just big phonies and who pretend that they care about God when they don't. They are uh, the, these folks who have these daily devotionals and they think because they read some human viewpoint daily devotional that all of a sudden they're getting to know God. And then they get to post on Facebook, because of you, Lord, because of you what? What exactly is the Lord doing for you? What exactly do you know about him? Because we're going to get a little, a, a little lesson in the prayer request group today. Because Christians underestimate the power of prayer. We come over there in, in, in the prayer group and we sound desperate. We sound doubtful, as if when we go before the Lord, that he isn't going to somehow do what we ask him to do. You know, when we pray, that's supernatural. It's not natural, but we come with a natural attitude. We come with this attitude like, God, I, I, I know that you would never consider doing this for me, but... Eh. <laughs> That's not the way to come before the Lord. The come, you come before the Lord and you expect that he's going to do what you tell him to do and you expect that it's going to happen right quick because you're bringing supernatural power, a supernatural power that exists inside of you to those things. And so you are not powerless. The, the politics that's going on in the United States is not your reality. Your reality is that your polituma, your citizenship, is in heaven. You're in a kingdom that does not belong to you. We are visitors here, and we are to be ambassadors here. But that's not what happens, is it? What happens is we get lulled into a doubt. We get lulled to sleep. We get lulled into thinking that we're just like everybody else, and it's not going to work out for us. We get lulled into being sad sacks. Not me. Not me. I don't think they're powerful. The, one of my buddies is talking about, oh, uh, prove the election fraud. Prove it. <laughs> Do you think that people who con you are stupid enough to leave a smoking gun? They're not stupid. The relationships that you have that never seem to work out, where somebody you know in your heart of hearts that that person is not on your side, but you just want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Do you think they're ever going to show you the smoking gun? They're not going to show you the smoking gun. You have to be smarter than that. You have to ask for the supernatural gun. And we always get it from the Lord. He'll let you know. And when he lets you know, what do we do? Uh, I, I, but I still think, <laughs> okay, all right, so you still think so, okay.
Yeah, it doesn't matter that it happened a hundred times. You still think so, right? And that's, you know, Christians, we're, we, we, we aren't powerless, but we act powerless. We aren't powerless, but we think powerless. And that is not what God wants for you. You are powerful beyond measure because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, cares about you. You are one of his sheep. And, and by the way, he didn't pick the shepherd sheep analogy for nothing. He picked the shepherd sheep analogy because sheep are the dumbest animals on the planet. They don't know when to go to sleep. <laughs> they don't know when to wake up. They don't know when to eat. They don't know when to drink. They always are getting themselves in trouble. That's why he picked that. To let you know that he already knows who you are. And he expects you, the sheep, the dumb, don't know how to feed yourself, don't know when to drink sheep, to come, from him, come in front of him in prayer and boss him around. Amen? Yeah, you ain't, you ain't saying amen because y'all are too busy over there. <laughs> right? <laughs> As one of his sheep, he's not going to let anyone or anything hurt you. Therefore, we are not overtaken by fear as believers in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says this. You believers in Christ have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as adult sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, we are not slaves. We are not afraid. We are sons And as sons, we have an inheritance. As sons, we are powerful. In other parts of the Bible, we're referred to as children. Not here. We are adopted adult sons who have an inheritance coming that will stagger your imagination. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead, and he is on your side. He's also 100% human, just like you and me, to prove to us that he knows what we're going through. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and he lived among us. He is the uniquely born one. There is none like you is one of the songs we listen to. There is nobody like him. He is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is on your side. He is the Jewish Messiah, and my Jewish friends missed it. They have missed it. They're going to catch him on the second coming. You know, oh, the Messiah. No, he was already here. He was already here. Jesus Christ is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And he proved 109 different ways that he is the Messiah. There was a one in a trillion chance that everything that he predicted would come true, and it came true. Amen? One in a trillion. That's like you, you winning the lottery once. Ain't going to happen. Oh, oh, Pastor, yeah. I, I won a scratch off last week. Oh, that's awesome. How much did you pay? Well, I bought five tickets. It was $10. And how much did you win? Three? Okay. You flunked math in grammar school. At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. And as those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. But God has an enemy, Satan, 
whom God made the ruler of this world. And he is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. He doesn't want us to get to know God, and he interferes with our chance to know God. John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world, and the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned at a future time. Now, Satan's strategy against the human race is religion, which is designed to make us either indifferent or antagonistic to God. Matthew chapter 23, verse 15 says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! What's a hypocrite? Somebody who talks from behind a mask. Hupocrites. You travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, one convert to your religion. And when he becomes converted, you make him twice as much the son of hell as you are. That's exactly what the religious do. They make other people religious and turn them into sons of hell. And sons of hell are people who are destined for the lake of fire. Religion deceives a lot of people, billions of people, into thinking that they're saved when they aren't. There are going to be a lot of shocked people in the lake of fire. A lot of shocked people because they never listen to everybody who says, Lord, Lord, isn't going to go to heaven. See? Well, the word of God is truth. That's what we're here to learn. And it informs us about Satan's insidious deceptions. And as believers in Christ, we are in union with Christ and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord who has overcome the world. And because of him, we are overcomers too. Today's Bible lesson God the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual eyes. God the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual eyes. Well, if you look at the world with human eyes, you should be scared about what's going on right now. If you look at the world with spiritual eyes, you can't be scared. Without question, the most disrespected member of the Godhead is God the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives us believers in Christ spiritual eyes for discernment. Yet he is the Rodney Dangerfield of the Godhead. I'll tell you, he don't get no respect. Yet, in at least 90 places in the Bible, it is made clear that God the Holy Spirit is God. He has the exact same essence as God the Father. He has the exact same essence as God the Son. Matthew chapter 12, verse 32 says this, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against God the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. What does that mean exactly? It means blasphemy against God the Holy Spirit in this age, which is the rejection of his convicting ministry, where he presents the gospel message, the accurate gospel message about Jesus Christ, will not be forgiven. The sin of unbelief, will meet with God the Father's wrath. And there is no way to blame our own rejection of the free gift of salvation on God. It's not God's will that any should perish, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Yet those who do reject God the Holy Spirit's convicting ministry always find a way to blame God for what they choose. If the Lord Jesus Christ went to the lake of fire today and said, I changed my mind, I'm going to give you one more chance to come to heaven with me. Who wants to go? How many people would go? None. Why? 
because they are more convinced today than they were that they are right than they were when they first made the decision to reject Christ. And that's you, you're hoping one day that somebody who is rejecting Christ will all of a sudden change. Mm-mm. Nope. Now, I'm not talking about people on the earth here, right? I'm talking about people in the lake of fire. If, if anybody in your family is still breathing, they have a chance to change. But the likelihood of them changing after they've spent a lifetime deceiving themselves, there's only one, one solution for that, and it's supernatural. Pray for them. Pray, because God can get anything done. And he will put them in a position where they have to make the decision. Say again? That's right. That's right. And we've seen it a lot of times. So as we begin our study of the next passage of 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, God the Holy Spirit is in view. He is the one who makes believers in Christ spiritual. His enabling power is at the center of the Christian way of living. Did you know that? So when you think you are spiritual, just know your spirituality doesn't come from you. It comes from the one who gives us spiritual eyes, God the Holy Spirit. All right, enough of me. What do you think about me? Let's hear some music. If we're being truthful, adults are big phonies. We excel at pretending. And for those of us who are believers in Christ, we don't have to pretend. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11 say this, Finally, believers in Christ, be strong in union with the Lord and in the strength of His might, because the strength of His might is a power that overcomes resistance from the kingdom of darkness. Ephesians 6, 11, Pick up and put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. There's no need to pretend when God is on your side, although the group unspoken says pretending is our human condition. Let's listen. I fake my confidence and put it on like armor. Five foot nine, so I try to stand a little taller. To measure up, I gotta work a little harder. It's the human condition. I do it all to make it perfect for the picture. Pretty smile, let me find the perfect filter. If they believe it, maybe I believe it with them. That's the human condition. Lord, help me. I'm so tired of pretending. I can hold it together. When I know that I can't Lord show me I don't have to be worthy It's because of your mercy You love me You love me just as I am And a cross that was too heavy My jaded heart's a one where it needed saving You could've turned, could've run, could've left me in my, my human condition And if I'm really being honest Every day I struggle with the promise That all I am is all you ever wanted, ever wanted Lord help me, I'm so tired of pretending 
us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, we give thanks for you every moment of our lives, and not just at the time when the world designates that you should be thanked. Thank you for giving us a power source at the center of our Christian lives, God the Holy Spirit. Help us to love him and to respect him and to use the presence of his enabling power in our lives, to see evil when it is present and to run away from it, standing firm in the full armor of God and instead worshiping you. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, God the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual eyes. God the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual eyes. You may notice my tone is kind of sharp today. Did you notice that? Kind of all the emotions of this last year coming to a head. You know, as a pastor, you have to put on a happy face all the time. You know, oh, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be great. But really, down underneath, you get sick of people. And you get sick of seeing how stupid people can be as they watch what's going on in front of you. And they, as they watch what's going on in front of them, they can't even see what's going on in front of them. And it doesn't bother me so much that that's true of unbelievers, but it bothers me a lot about Christians. When we don't see what's going on right in front of us and we get sucked in and drawn in to all that nonsense and... If, if you come to Barah Ministries and you don't have the sense that this is different, if you don't have the sense that this makes a difference in your life, that you spent the two hours here, what are you looking at? I mean, some of the books you read, do you, do you really think those cotton candy books do anything for you? Some of the TV programs you watch, do you really think that stuff does anything for you? Do you really think that God sent you here to lay around and watch TV or lay around and and read books and be tired? He didn't. He sent you here for a purpose. He sent you to this kingdom for a purpose. He sent you to this kingdom to make a difference. Oh, yes. Well, pastor, I'm a new believer and I don't know how I make a difference. You make a difference the minute you put on the Christian uniform. That's when you start making a difference. I started making a difference as a Christian when I was eight years old because I was a light in this world. People always tell me, you're special. You're special. There's nothing special about me except the fact that I believe in Jesus Christ and people see it reflected. When I walked out onto my patio at three in the morning, there was a full moon and I looked at that full moon and I said, there I am right there. That's me. The sun is shining on that moon, and that's where it gets its light. That's me. The sun is shining on me, and that's where I get my light. How about you, Christians? The sun is shining on you, and you are a light in this dark place. You make a difference just because you exist and because you made the decision to get on this team. And now that's got to show up as you dragging other people, if that's necessary, to the team. And when you do that, you can't keep your mouth shut. You've got to talk. You can't be embarrassed about Christ. You've got to talk. You've got to reach out. And especially now, because between the holidays, this is when people are most vulnerable. 
They're around their family and they hate it. They're around the phonies and they hate it. They're hearing the same stupid stories they've been hearing for the last 10 years and they absolutely hate it. They got to put up, they got to cook on a day when they don't even like cooking. And then there are two of those days. And they got to put up lights and they don't like putting up lights and they don't like trees and they got a phony tree and then the real tree, if they get a real tree, it dries out and the needles go all over. And the, the next 90 days for people are hell because they know that they're phonies. They know they don't know what Christmas is about. Christmas ain't about no Santa Claus. A total coincidence that Satan and Santa have the same letters, huh? Total coincidence. This, the, the Christmas is about Christ, and it's not a time to give. It's a time to receive. It's the time when the whole world opens its arms to receive the Savior who came and was talking in the manger, talking in the manger as a baby, saying, you don't want burnt offerings. You want me as an offering. And that's why he was wrapped in cloths that the world calls swaddling clothes, trying to make him sound all sweet and cuddly. He was wrapped in the cloths that you use to wrap a mangled corpse. Mummy. If you've ever seen a mummy, the cloths that they are wrapped in to keep the body together, that's what he was, he was wrapped in. He was identified with his death from his birth. And he died for you. And people need to know that. And who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them? Central Christian Church? Is that who's going to tell them? When are they going to tell them? When the band stops? When are they going to tell them? 45 minutes in when they finally get to a Bible verse? Who's going to tell them? Joel Osteen? He waves the Bible around. The New Testament only, though. He's got a little one. He waves it around. I'm still waiting for him to open it. I'm convinced he can't read. Who's going to tell them? Those guys are not going to tell them. You have to tell them. And how do you tell people stuff? One person at a time. One person at a time. And it's you making a decision that regardless of how you feel or what you think, that the person you're talking to makes a difference, that you can make a difference to them, that they matter. And that's called relationships. Yeah, I'm a little fired up because I want us as Christians to step up our games. So Paul is addressing another problem that is plaguing the first century church. Now, what does it mean to be spiritual? You hear that word thrown around. All believers in Christ are spiritual. So if you are a believer in Christ, you are spiritual. Why? Because we're powered by God the Holy Spirit, and he makes us spiritual. See, there's nothing special about us. There's a lot special about what he does for us. But he's the unsung hero in the triune Godhead. He's the Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, I tell you, I don't get no respect. Nobody respects God the Holy Spirit. They make him an energy force. 
He, he's like an energy force. Well, he powers me when I speak in tongues. But that, 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 that. <laughs> what an insult to a deity who's just, righteous, sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, loving, immutable, veracity, absolute truth, and eternal. It's an insult to him. But does that surprise you in Satan's kingdom that all the things that are directed toward God are insults? Does that surprise you here? Does it surprise you how a tyrant runs his kingdom? It doesn't surprise me. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ takes care of us at salvation. His work on the cross, because of it, because of him shedding blood, we go from being an unbeliever to a believer when we say, Father, I believe in Christ. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I believe, help my unbelief. A lot of ways to ask for salvation. But once our salvation is accomplished, we are handed off to God the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? And his ministry to you is called sanctification. And what is sanctification? He takes us from being immature believers to being mature believers by renovating our mind through the word of God. He clears out all the garbage in your head and fills it with the word. God the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual eyes. No more. Once you become a believer in Christ, there's no more human eyes. You now have spiritual eyes. Will you use them? Will you understand that you are a new creation? That the old you is dead and there is a new you? Do you get that? That you are no longer... The old self, it was crucified at the cross. And that you are to step up to a whole new way of being. Because God put you in a, in, in a position to be a whole new being. He did that for you. The I life is gone. And Satan wants to convince you it isn't. He wants to convince you not to step out. Not to tell people about him. And we agree. Oh yeah, because it's a lot of effort to tell people about Christ and they might reject me. Nobody cares about you enough to reject you. They're rejecting him. At least that's what the Bible says. If they hated you, remember they hated me first. I think you wrote a song about that, didn't you? If the world comes to hate you, remember it hated me first. What song is that? Oh, that's that one you saw. <laughs> that's the one you depress us with at least once a quarter. Yeah, that's it. Well, yes, love. So you go from salvation to sanctification. You go from Christ to God, the Holy Spirit. Then when you go to heaven, who takes over? Come on, there's only one left. Tell me. God the Father, yeah. They all participate in your magnificence. So God the Holy Spirit in sanctification takes us from being immature to mature, and he does it with the word. You can't get enough of the word. Because if you don't have the word in your soul, if you don't have divine viewpoint in your soul, you're going to have human viewpoint in your soul, and you're going to think stupid. You're going to think afraid. You're going to think Joe Biden is the answer to all of our problems. That's what we're going to hear for the next four years until he 
falls over and dies from whatever disease he has, Alzheimer's or whatever it is. And I'm not being political. I'm just telling you what is being orchestrated right in front of your face. I guarantee you he will not fulfill his term. Guarantee it. Why? Because the Bible tells us stuff like this. We're not looking at this stuff with, with human eyes. We're looking at it from the divine viewpoint. All right, well, let's continue our study. 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14 address another problem plaguing the first century Corinthian church. Here are the first two sections of chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. It's three verses, then it's seven verses, two sections. We're going to study the first section today. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I, Paul, don't want you to be unaware 1 Corinthians 12, 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore I, Paul, make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You see that sign behind me? There's no way I put that sign behind me, Jesus Christ is God, if that wasn't motivated by God the Holy Spirit. There was nothing in me that would motivate me to put that sign back there. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there is a variety of spiritual gifts, but one and the same Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 5. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 6. There are a variety of effects, but the same God the Father who works all things and all persons. Look at that. Verses 4, 5, and 6 say, Who's on your side? The Spirit, the Lord, and the Father. All on your side, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one of us, believers in Christ, is given the manifestation of God the Holy Spirit for the common good. What is manifestation? It's making something clearly visible. What does God the Holy Spirit make clearly visible? Your spiritual gift. Who does he make it perfectly clear to? You. Don't tell me you don't know what your spiritual gift is. Don't tell me that. You absolutely know what your spiritual gift is. And when you play that confusion game, I'm I'm confused. You're not confused. You're real clear. What are you clear about? You're clear about it that you're a phony. You're very clear. You're clear that you don't want to know your spiritual gift because if you knew it, you'd have to use it. You see? Everybody knows. See, you can con people. You can't con God. You think you can con God? You think you can con an omniscient God who knows all that is knowable, including your heart? You think you can con him? So con yourself. Get up and lie to yourself every day in the mirror. Lie to me. Tell me what you think I want to hear. You ain't lying to God. He knows what you're up to. And he knows what he put you here for. And you know what? He knows what you're up to and he made you anyway. Isn't that awesome? He knows you're full of it, and he made you anyway. That's an amazing God right there. 1 Corinthians 12, 8. To one believer in Christ is given the word of wisdom through God the Holy Spirit. To another believer in Christ, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. Who's powering all of our spiritual lives? One being, God the Holy Spirit. Why? Because there's this thing called unity among the brethren. 
We are in unity. We don't have to get in unity. He placed us in unity. Why did he place us in unity? Because he knew we'd never be able to do it on our own. To another is given faith by the same spirit. And to another is giving the gift of healing in one spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 9. To another is given faith by the same spirit. To another is given the gift of healing by one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 10. And to another is given the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. And to another is given distinguishing of spirits. And to another is given various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Ah, there it is. There it is, the smoking gun. Tongues still exists. See, let's zoom in on that one verse. Tongues is still viable. Oh, well, no, not quite. You better go to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and see what tongues actually is. And then you better go to 1 Corinthians 13 and see that tongues, if there are tongues, and there are, they will cease. If there is prophecy, and there is, it will cease. They have done ceased. Amen? But there's still people who want to believe they ain't ceased because they want to con you. That the bat the bat the bat. Oh wow. That's amazing. I I I can't do that. There's wow, they're so spiritual. Golly. They speak in tongues. They are so like up there and I'm so down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are down there. You're not using your brain. <laughs> First Corinthians twelve eleven, one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, as He will. See, that's the whole thing. If you want to know something as a believer in Christ, what should you start knowing? Know, know God. Know how He is. If God is fair, and He is. Justice, perfect justice. Would he make one person above another person? Is that fair? It's not fair. Now, you tell that to a couple. You tell that to a married couple. The husband is the authority in the relationship and the wife is in submission to his authority. Now, does that mean that the husband's up here and the wife is down here? No. It doesn't. It means they're right here, president and vice president, on the same level, equal in the eyes of God. Because in the eyes of God, there's no partiality, each with a job to do. But what happens? One wants to do the other's job. What's that called? Usurping. Do your job. You got enough challenge to do your own job rather than trying to do somebody else's job. And we got men today trying to be women responders. We got women trying to be initiators when they aren't. And so what do we got? A mess. Do your job. Got a mess on our hands. Now, one of the ways God the Holy Spirit is disrespected by humans is that speaking in tongues is attributed to him. Spiritual counterfeiters allege that the Spirit is powering them to speak in tongues. (laughs) We got a couple people in here that used to be in the Pentecostal church, amen? They used to watch this every week. People walking around with their Bible in their hand making noise. 
Unbelievable. Does that even, do you even think that God would sanction anything that's stupid? Honestly. See, if you don't know God, you'd think, yeah, he would sanction that. If you know God, he doesn't do that. He doesn't work that way. That's not clear. What is tongues? I speak to you in English, you hear it in your original language, whatever it happens to be. If I speak to you, if your original and only language is Spanish, and I say to you, hello, you hear hola. Es español. That's tongues. So if somebody is speaking in tongues, the other person understands them in the language that is their first language. That's tongues. It is not that, 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 that. Yet, the spiritual counterfeiters want us to believe that God the Holy Spirit is behind that, and he's making them babble. Because they speak in tongues, spiritual counterfeiters insinuate that they are better than believers in Christ that don't have this spiritual gift. And over the course of our study of the next three chapters, Paul will debunk that mythology of tongues, and he'll shed light on spiritual gifts as it relates to the shenanigans that are going on in Corinth. And you know the shenanigans going on in Corinth. There are people who think they're better than the others. The spiritual gift of tongues has ceased, but there are still people pretending to do it who are deceiving believers in Christ who don't have a biblical view of what the gift of tongues was used for. See? But here's, because here's the thing. If you don't have the truth in your soul, you are a sucker. You are so easy to deceive, it's not even funny. You are a sitting duck. That's why we come here, because we don't want to be sitting ducks. When you come back from your break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll get a verse-by-verse look at Paul's introduction to the next section of our study. Why you ever chose me? It's always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite With all the never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody You rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil Start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song 
Today's Bible lesson, God the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual eyes. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us what happens when we give in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 to 17. He says this, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. Philippians 4, 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit of God's fruit in you, which increases your account when you give. So if God prospers us when we give, why don't we give more? Why do people take the benefit of learning the Word of God and then not give to ensure that the Word of God is spread around the world free of charge through Barah Ministries? If you're a Christian, if you've been saved by Christ's work on the cross, put your money where your mouth is. Give without counting the cost because God certainly wants you to take for yourself. Yet God also wants you to give for the sake of others. I think people don't give more here because at Barah Ministries, we don't pressure you to give. We don't guilt trip you into giving. 
We don't tell you that you have to tithe. Tithing was a 10% across the board income tax in the Old Testament times. It had nothing to do with the church. And the church, of course, the religious churches, of course, used it to obligate people to give and to tell them that if they didn't give, God was not going to bless them. That's nonsense. According to the Bible, you don't have to tithe. Here's what the Bible recommends to you church-age believers about giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. It says this, Now I, Paul, say this, The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. In other words, you don't expect that you're going to put two seeds of corn in the ground and get 80 bushels of corn, do you, Larry? No. If, if you want, why does it got to be Larry? Why, I don't know. It should have been you. You're from Iowa, right? Everybody in Iowa is a farmer. That's what you said last week of an offering message. So I should have said it to you. I'm sorry, Larry. I didn't mean to go over from Iowa to Kansas. But, <laughs> but no, you don't put two seeds of corn in the ground and expect 80 bushels. You put 80 bushels of seed in and expect 160 bushels because God will multiply it. So... We're not going to guilt trip you. Now, I, Paul, say this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows generously will also reap generously. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. What's that God's attitude about giving? Each one of us must do what he has decided to do in his own heart. Not giving reluctantly. Not giving under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. But here's the best part. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed, including giving. And that means that when you give, he will give it back to you so you can give again. It's just this never-ending circle with our God. So give as the Lord recommends, from want to, not from have to, but give so that profit may overflow to your account. Does it say that profit may go back to your account? Is that what it says? Answer me. No, it says overflow. Run over. Give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Not your time and talent or your treasure. Be all in. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with today's offering message. Buenos dias. Me llamo Denny Goodall. <laughs> Hello. I'm Denny, or good morning. I'm Denny Goodall, and I'm thankful for, to be a deacon at Barah Ministries. And you belong at Barah Ministries. You belong at a place where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth in the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but I really loved last week's lesson, especially the title. It was a great title. You know, just to say that the body of Christ, and people think, who's the body of Christ? You think of Christ. You don't think of the brethren all coming together. And us, us, we are the ones that actually give it life, and it's such a great title. It's just a description of life, really. So this week, I kind of looked around. I was trying to look around for more signs, or think of my own life, of signs of people coming together and giving life to something. And I thought of my high school football team, because our sophomore year, we were thin on guys. We had a couple guys that were academically ineligible, and they were probably our best players. 
So we had just enough guys to play our team, and we played on all sides, all, all downs. We played kick return, punt return, offense, defense, every play. And the key there is we're all coming together and working together. And I didn't necessarily love all those guys, but I love football and I love the team. And so I, we worked together. We worked as a group, and we brought life to that team. And then I thought about my first, one of my first jobs was a busboy at a Red Lobster. And really, a busboy, you're like the lowest man on the totem pole there. And, but you think about it, without that busboy there, what would the tables look like? They'd be a mess. You know, you'd have one person running around, servers running around grabbing all these tables and doing all that stuff. They wouldn't have the, they wouldn't have the time to, to help their guests. And it just shows you that every role is important. And everybody coming together, even at a football team or a restaurant, those kind of things matter. And then this week, we had to cut down one of our trees. It's a 30-year-old tree. It's a huge tree. It was, it was kind of sad to miss it. And I was just glad, though, because I already know my spiritual gifts, so I didn't need pigeons to be up there and pooping on my head. So I got rid of the tree. But point of the story is there was they, they ground the stump, and there was just a pile of sawdust. And I took some time just to kind of square it all up and get it out of the grass, and I, I built this huge mound, and it looked like a mountain. And it made me think that you know, when you look in the, out, out in our wonderful scenery here in nature in Arizona, you don't see mountains all by themselves. There's always a group of mountains. There's always a mountain range. It's not a mountain just all by itself. It's a mountain surrounded by other mountains that are supporting it. And that's really how our spiritual life is. It's the same thing. We're, we're always surrounded by people that are helping us to do the right thing, to change our mind. And without that, without knowing God, we wouldn't know which way to, which way to turn. And so when we look at the Bible, we see in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it even um, it reflects the same kind of attitude. Galatians 5.13, For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through unconditional love serve one another. So it's real easy to, to engage the flesh in this world, and it's hard to think about loving one another and serving one another. But this is the place to do it. And so thank you for always giving to this ministry, and thank you for always serving, because without this, we wouldn't have this beacon, this reflection of God's grace. We wouldn't have the ability to tell people about Christ. And I was asking Pastor, you know, um, why, why are people so choosy when we try to give the gospel? God's not choosy. God's not picky. But we're so picky all the time. Oh, I don't know. I might, tell, I might not tell them. And then they don't want to hear it. But God wants everybody to hear it, so it's worth it. And so thank you for always coming because it's worth it for your spiritual life and for your supernatural spiritual life. So thank you very much.
him. Mary, you weren't here, but we wished you a happy birthday, and we want you to know we're praying for you, too. Because we know you like running into things with your car, and so we're going to pray that we're glad you're healthy, and we're going to pray that God provides you with all the resources you need to take care of that situation. Today's Bible lesson, God the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual eyes. God the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual eyes. Well, the theme of 1 Corinthians is outlined in two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Now I, Paul, exhort you, fellow believers in Christ, I'm begging you, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. When two Christians agree, disagree on something, one or both of them are wrong, because God, with everything, God, it's one with God. It only means one thing. He's not a God of confusion. And that there be no rivalries among you, no divisions among you. Instead, that you be made complete, that you be filled up to all the fullness is what that means. In the same mind and in the same purpose. Every Christian has the same mind and every Christian has the same purpose. But not every Christian listens to God. A lot of Christians are double-minded. They're listening to God and they're listening to the world because they want to be liked. And God does not expect us to be liked in Satan's kingdom. And as a matter of fact, if you are liked in Satan's kingdom, you should really be worried about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. For I, Paul, have been informed concerning you, my brethren in the church at Corinth, by Chloe's people, that there are rivalries among you. That's not what God wants. He wants us to be one in mind. Now, as we know, there were the haves and the have-nots in the church at first century Corinth. Clear evidence that even though the church was filled with believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were thinking and acting like the world. I have a lot of very wealthy friends that I went to college with. Northwestern happens to have a lot of people in it who come from wealthy parents and then their parents died and they inherited their parents wealth. They're very wealthy. And a lot of them are Democrats. And I was thinking this week, why would a wealthy person be a Democrat? Now, on the face of it, it's, oh, well, we think we should help people less fortunate. Okay, well, what's the best way to help somebody who's less fortunate? Is the best way to help somebody who's less fortunate to give them a fish? or to teach them to fish. And see, when by giving people fish, you're actually continuing them in their state of poverty. That's why my friends are Democrats, because they are very comfortable with poor people continuing to be poor. Because if you don't want poor people to be poor, you teach them how to think in a way that is not poor. See, here at Barah Ministries, we don't give out fish. We're not going over to the soup lines and handing out a meal for today. We want people to come in here and get a meal that's going to change them forever. Amen? Amen. That's what we're looking for. We're not going to be like everybody else. Because you've got to change this. 
If you don't change this and you win the lottery, you know what's going to happen with the money? It's going to be in somebody else's pockets in a year. If, if all of the wealth in the world was divided equally today, you went home and you looked at your bank account, and your bank account was $10 million, and you called your friends and said, hey, I got $10 million today. Yeah, me too. That money would be back in the same pockets in two weeks. What happened to all the stimulus payments? You still got them? Did they go in a savings account that's going to kick off money for you? No. It got stimulated, didn't it? It's gone. Oh, yes. Well, Pastor, I had bills I had to pay. Okay. Me too. But if I got a stimulus payment, it would have gone into my savings account. It's just a different way of thinking about stuff. See? But we're consumers. Here in the United States, we have disposable income. In Japan, they have discretionary income. That's a different way of thinking. So, there were believers in this church at Corinth still very much influenced by their pagan roots. And it caused Paul to say to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, I, Paul, brethren, could not speak to you, Corinthian believers, as I would speak to spiritual persons, those with the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit, to believers in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 1b, I have to speak to you as if I'm speaking to men of flesh, those without the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit, unbelievers, as if I'm speaking to infants, in union with Christ. Why? Because I am speaking to infants in union with Christ. So what do I have to do? I have to give you milk to drink because you don't have any spiritual teeth. I can't give you solid food. I can't give you steak. For you're not able to digest solid food. Indeed, even now you're not able to digest solid food. Why not? Well, because you are still acting as if you're fleshly. You're acting like unbelievers. You're acting like pagans. For since there keeps on being jealousy and strife persisting among you, are you not fleshly? Aren't you acting like unbelievers, being selfish? And aren't you walking in lifestyle like mere men, as if you're not spirit-filled persons? You see, when you become a believer in Christ, you're expected to think and act differently. You're not expected to think and act like the world. When people who are in unity... When people who are believers in Christ, when people who are in union with Christ accept and in fact promote divisiveness, they don't understand Christ, nor do they reflect him. You can be a believer in Christ and not understand a single thing about your Savior. How? When you focus on people instead of focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. When you focus on anything but the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. When you have 168 hours a week and two hours of it only is dedicated to the word. Because in the two hours you aren't paying attention to the whole time. Your mind is wandering all over the place because you think somebody's trying to guilt trip you. You think somebody's trying to condemn you if they talk to you with a little bit too harsh a tone. You think somebody's trying to hurt you if they're telling you stuff that you need to look at and change in your life today. Not later. Oh, I'll get to it. Wake up. Asleep to aware to will wake up. God's always telling us to wake up. 
Why? Because we're lulled to sleep by deception. So how do you shift out of this worldly orientation? You don't. God the Holy Spirit does it for you when you get enough of the Word of God under your belt. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to the world. And there's a triple conforming you. Satan and his demon army, his cosmic system of thought, which is the world, that's what you live in, and the flesh resident in you, in your body. Satan has a three-pronged attack. Gosh, I wonder where he got the three-pronged attack idea from. Oh, could it be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have a three-pronged attack? So he thought he'd copy it because he hasn't got an original thought in his head. That's exactly where it came from. And so what happens in this kingdom, for example, in the cosmic system of thought? You turn on the news and what do you hear? A lady who owns a shop and was preparing for a great Christmas got robbed and now she's trying to reorder all the stuff that was robbed and her, the suppliers are on holiday. So she's going to have a horrible time. Ma'am, what do you think about the whole thing? Well, I just wanted to be on to warn everybody else that this could happen to you. Why is that news? Why do we have to watch that? What's one thing that that does to edify me? Nothing. Yet how much time do you spend watching the news compared to how much time you spend doing, learning the Word of God? How much time do you spend on Instagram compared to how much time that you spend learning the Word of God? How much time do you spend on Facebook compared to how much time you spend learning the Word of God? How much time do you watch TV and compared to how much time you spend listening to the Word of God. I heard a podcast this week. A 10-minute walk every day can, cut, can add two years to your life. You doing it? No. Uh-uh. Because you know what? That's edifying. No, that's edifying. What are you doing? Oh, I'm not going to eat eggs. One of the healthiest things you can do is eat eggs. But somebody came on and told you not to eat eggs. Why would they tell you that in Satan's kingdom, not to eat eggs? Oh, eggs causes cholesterol. Sugar causes cholesterol. Why don't we eat eggs? Because they're healthy. Oh, you have to eat organic. Good idea. Expensive. But how about just vegetables? Period. Wash, wash the stuff off of them. Oh, there's pesticides on it. Wash it off. Scrub it. Amen? You see how stupid we are? We turn on these sources, we go to these sources that indoctrinate us to think stupidly. We listen to what they say and we're fatter than we've ever been. They're telling us what to eat and we're fat. Do you get it that they're lying? And then once you get fat, it's going to take a long time for you to lose all that weight. I lost a pound a day in 40 days. It doesn't take a long time. You just got to know what you're doing. I didn't know what I was doing, so I counted on somebody who did know what they were doing, who wasn't lying. It took years to find them. Why? Because I was willing to be deceived by all the liars. Oh, the keto diet, the Atkins diet, the fad diet of the week. Diet, diet, diet. Every book you read, diets make you fatter. 
$10 billion industry. That's how stupid we are. June, you're 65. You should be retired. You're on your way out. But the actuarial tables say that when you hit 65, you're probably going to be 90, especially if you're a non-smoker. June's got 25 years to go. What's she going to do? Phone it in for the next 25 years? Because that's what the world's telling her to do. You're done, June. That's the world's telling me. You're done. You're 65. Gosh, you get the senior discount? Yeah, 50 cents. I get 50 cents off my movie. Wow, that's really helping. Unbelievable. This is the world we live in. This is what we're listening to. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world by Satan, by his cosmic system of thought, and by the flesh resident in you. Instead, keep on being transformed by God the Holy Spirit through the renewing of your mind by studying the Word of God so that you may see clearly through the testing of experience what the will of God is for you. And what is the will of God for you? The will of God is that which is good for you, that which is acceptable to him, and that which is perfect in result. you got to hold three thoughts in your head simultaneously. He wants what's good for you, what's acceptable to him, and what is perfect in result. He settles for no less than perfection from you. Why? Because he made you perfect at the moment of salvation. Perfect needs to be perfect. In 1 Corinthians, and by the way, let me take the pressure off. God, the Holy Spirit will make you perfect. He's the one who keeps on perfecting you. You don't have to do it yourself. Take all the pressure off. Let all the air out of the balloon. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapters 12 to 14, the Apostle Paul is answering another question that has been posed by Chloe's people. As in the other places in this letter, Paul makes it clear he is answering a Chloe question by beginning the section with the words, now concerning. Let's study Paul's introduction to this section. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, says this, now concerning the spiritually gifted ones. Aha! Notice that's not the spiritual gifts like a lot of the translations say. Now concerning the spiritually gifted ones. These are the ones who are the elitists in the congregation. That's why you can't just pull Bible verses out and use them to your purpose. They have to remain in the context. Now, concerning the spiritually gifted ones, brethren, you fellow believers in Christ, I don't want you to be unaware, and Paul is being a little sarcastic here, since you're so smart and so knowledgeable, I don't want you to be ignorant. He's slamming them a little bit here. He's setting them up, but he's doing it really subtly. All right, so what's going on here? Evidently, some people in the Corinthian congregation were claiming to be more spiritual than others. The same malady that plagues the believers at first century Corinth plagues people today. Scan any dating website, and you'll see people write, I'm not religious. I'm more spiritual. (laughs) That cracks me up. What does that even mean? It's just what superficial people say when they don't know what it means to be spiritual. And there are a lot of people in this world that don't have the slightest idea what it means to be spiritual. If you're a believer in Christ, you are spiritual. Why? Because God the Holy Spirit 
makes you spiritual. How? Because he's indwelling you, along with the other two members of the Trinity. The Apostle Paul wants to set them straight. Some of the spiritual elite in the church at Corinth wanted others to know that because their spiritual gift was louder than the spiritual gift of others, the gift of tongues, for example, perhaps their gift was better because it was louder. It's like a pastor who claims to have a better spiritual gift because he stands in front of the congregation every week. That just makes the pastor stupid. Worse, it's like a congregation member who expects something more out of a pastor than they expect from themselves because they are pretending to have lesser spiritual gifts than the pastor. In the body, it would be like the feet complaining that they're not as important as the mouth. Here's what congregation members do. Oh, pastor, pastor, pastor. They put the pastor up on a pedestal. Why do they put the pastor on a pedestal? The pastor's up here, they're down here. And what do they get to do? They get to shoot the pastor off the pedestal. Oh, do you believe our pastor swears? Oh, do you believe the thing that our, do you believe our pastor's divorced twice? Do you believe our pastor? He's supposed to be up here and I'm supposed to be down here, but I'm better than him. That's the way it works. I don't let anybody put me in the pastor box. What kind of, one of my clients asked me, I, I, I gave a, a nice expletive laced tirade and he said, what kind of pastor are you? I said, the kind of pastor that you would never want, one who teaches the truth and one who's real. Go to your phony church with your phony pastors. I'm not that guy. I wouldn't even want you in my church. And see, they don't ever expect that you're going to say something like that, because as a pastor, you're supposed to be all nice and phony and pretendy. That's not me. That's not me. Don't come to me with that game. So just because you make yourself lesser doesn't make you superior because everybody who's making themselves lesser really wants to be superior. Not fooling anybody. 1 Corinthians 12.2 You know that in the past, when you were pagans, you were led astray again and again to lifeless idols in whatever way you were led away. And what Paul is inferring there is they were led away by demons. You remember this from our early study of 1 Corinthians, that demons are behind every idol. For people to claim that they're elite and then to be fooled into worshiping lifeless idols seems interesting. How could those who are so smart be so dumb? As pagans, they were ignorant in spite of their wealth, and that same ignorance came with them when the spiritual elite became believers in Christ. You know, a lot of people want to quit their jobs. Okay, quit your job. I don't like my job. I don't like my boss. I don't like my job. Okay, go get a new job. What's going to show up at the new job? You. And you're going to find out that the same stuff that was plaguing you at the old place is plaguing you at the new place. Amen? Now, many Christians want to remain ignorant about God, and they do so by using their feelings to relate to God. That's how people pick out churches. But I just didn't feel it. Feel what? Feel what? What were you expecting to feel? It's not a feeling. They seek to make God an empirical energy force. I, re I did this. I remember when I went to Willow Creek Church back in Barrington, Illinois, and I'd come out, I'd be walking out, and I'd say, man, the Holy Spirit's bouncing off the walls in there. 
That was long before I started studying the Bible. The Holy Spirit doesn't bounce off the walls. The Holy Spirit bounces around inside of you to wake you up to the stupidity of saying stuff like that and doing stuff like that. He is not an empirical energy force. He is a person who is above us as the creator of the universe. So in so doing, when Christians try to dumb God down, they want to reduce his supernatural power to an ecstatic experience. That's what tongues is all about. But that, the bat, the bat, the bat. Oh, I like the song so I can raise my hand above my head. <laughs> what is this? Have you ever seen Christians doing that? What is that? What does that make you closer to God when you raise your hand? And look, I'm not putting that down. I understand that, th- that there are feelers in the world and I am not one of them. I get that. And maybe for a feeler, a feeler could explain it. June, you could probably explain it because you used to do that stuff all the time. So I told you, stop it. <laughs> Quit doing that. My, my older son is a feeler, and so I get a lot from him where he is explaining to me what it's like to be a feeler, because I don't understand it. It's not, I'm a thinker. I have a different orientation to this life, and I don't think thinker is better than feeler, but I don't think either one of them is how God relates to us, because those are human things. And what God is doing is way above thinking and feeling. That's not the way to him. The way to God is not through the intellect, and the way to God is not through the emotions. The way to God is through faith. And what is faith? Placing your confidence in him. So, he's not an energy force, but that's what people like doing. They like dumbing God down in a way they can understand it. That's what systematic theology was, right? Oh, let's just study it systematically. Let's make the doctrines. And let's make a doctrine for the doctrine. So instead of moving ourselves up to God's level of understanding, we attempt to dumb God down to a humanly understandable context. Problem is you can't dumb God down. We don't study the word of God to feel it. We study the Word of God to be filled up to all the fullness by it so that we can excel at dealing with satanic power and satanic schemes. Feelings have no power over Satan and the world forces of this darkness. Intellect has no power over Satan and the world forces of this darkness. Lifeless idols are of no assistance to us in times of trouble and especially for the believers in Corinth. Satan loves it when believers in Christ get distracted by trying to control God or to limit God's power in their lives. And when their attempts fail, the smart Christian goes running back to God. The dumb Christian runs toward the world. I'm mad at God. All believers in Christ are spiritual. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says this, All who are being led by God the Holy Spirit, and that is all believers in Christ, are the sons of God. A spiritual person is under the control of God the Holy Spirit. Believers in Christ are called sons of God because as sons we have privileges as part of the royal family of God. Privileges that if you really understood them would stagger your imagination. 
In addition, we have responsibilities, and one of those responsibilities is to live as God would have us live rather than following the nonsense lifestyle proposed by Satan and the kingdom of darkness. Let's just imagine for a second that the Lord was talking to you personally about your life. And you were being real for once in your life. And you say, you know, God, there's some things I'd like to accomplish before I come and live with you forever. Yeah, like what? I mean, I'd like to change my business. You know, right now it's a service business. I'd like it to be a technology business. Okay. Done. What else? Well, um, I'm real wary, scared about what's going to happen here in the world, and I'm worried that all of the nest egg that I've built up is just going to all of a sudden be controlled by somebody else, and it's not going to be there for my resources. Okay. Well, that's probably going to happen. But I got you. So if your cupboard is bare, I know how much you need, I'll fill it. What else? Then you go on with your little goofy list, you know. Well, I'd just like to make sure that the voice is renewed for next season, Lord. That's June. (laughs) Yeah. Wasting a prayer on that. Amen. See, y'all always think I'm picking on June, but I wish you'd see some of the text messages she sends me and some of the calls she makes to me during the week. You think she does not do her stuff publicly. She's a sniper. She's an assassin. She hurts me without y'all looking, so I get her in public. (laughs) But anyway, you're talking to God. You're talking to somebody who can give you anything you want, who can do anything for you that you want done. Anytime he wants to do it. And you talk, you talk to him with doubt. Why, you men of little faith? Why do you talk to him with doubt? Because the world has convinced you that he's not going to come through for you. And you believe it. That's why. Because you have no faith in this God that has saved you and who died for you. That's why. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ. So don't put your thumb in your mouth and curl up on the floor in the fetal position and get your rubber hose out. I'm just saying, why don't you step up to the power that you actually have indwelling you? Why don't you get it that whatever you need, is gonna, he's going to come through. Why don't you get that? Because he's done it over and over and over again. He's never failed once. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God, that is a Spirit-filled spiritual person, says Jesus is anathema. Earlier it said Jesus is accursed, but the Greek word is actually anathema. It's much worse than accursed. And conversely, no one can say Jesus is Lord like the sign behind me except by the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. What is anathema? Anathema is someone cursed, detested, loathed, 
consigned to destruction, damned, due for divine punishment, and devoted to evil. There is no justification for ever describing Jesus Christ this way. But unbelievers do it all the time. They said because he was crucified, he was a criminal, and he was cursed. No, he wasn't. He was treated unfairly. This verse said another way says that if you're a believer in Christ, a spirit-filled person, you're never going to call your Lord and Savior anathema. The Holy Spirit would not inspire such an utterance of blasphemy against Jesus to come from your mouth. And if you're an unbeliever, you're never going to call Christ the Lord. You're never going to say that he's deity because to do so requires the inspiration of the filling of God the Holy Spirit. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, a natural man, the sukikos man, the unbeliever, does not accept the things of the Holy Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. And he can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised. And that's why God, the Holy Spirit, has a convicting ministry. He stands in to make absolutely clear to unbelievers what the gospel message is because they couldn't understand it on their own. All utterances that humans consider inspired are not from God, the Holy Spirit. Some are from the pit of hell from Satan and his kingdom of darkness. I had a friend send me a video to watch, an hour-long video. So what's your take on this? And the guy was talking about he had a dream, and here's what God said to him in a dream. God does not communicate with church-age believers in dreams, a fact that he would know if he was studying the Bible. When someone says Jesus is Lord, however, it's definitely inspired by God the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because what the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. In John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, the Lord Jesus Christ said to the Pharisee Nicodemus, who we've come to call Nicky D. You may know that Mickey D stole their little slang term from Nicky D. So here's what the Lord said to Nicky D, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, verse 6. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of mortals is mortal. And if you are mortal, you are going to die. The body that comes from your parents is going to die. But that which is the born-again one of God, the Holy Spirit, is spiritual. And so your body is not you. Your soul and spirit are you, and they will live forever. John 3, 7 then Jesus said to Nicodemus, whose mouth was hanging open because he was a Pharisee who had been studying the word for 20 years and didn't know this very simple fact, how you get to heaven. And his mouth was hanging open. And Jesus said, don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know this? In other words, you've been leading people over the cliff because you didn't know this? Well, in this short introduction to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul sets us up for a trip down discernment lane as we learn about another selfish mistake from the spiritual elite in Corinth. 
their viewpoint that their spiritual gift was more special than someone else's was completely off base. All believers in Christ are spiritual. And with God, there is no partiality. So your gift matters. Use it. God the Holy Spirit does a lot more for believers in Christ than helping people speak in tongues. He powers our spiritual life. We see God's viewpoint when we look at things with spiritual eyes, the eyes that are gifted to us by God the Holy Spirit. Well, the closing moments of our lesson are dedicated to anyone who does not have a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. Well, there is one inescapable truth that's at the root of Christianity. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God, and there's only one way to get to heaven, by placing your faith in him and what he has done at the cross on your behalf not placing your confidence in yourself and what you can do. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the most important being in the universe. And he loves you unconditionally. He created you, and he wants a relationship with you. And that's good news for you. The bad news is that you were born with a problem. From the moment of your physical birth, God considered you a sinner. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says this, It is written... There is no creature who is righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not your fault that you're a sinner from physical birth, but it is your circumstance. And unfortunately for you, being a sinner has a penalty. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the payment earned for being a sinner is both spiritual death and physical death. Dying, die. That's what the Lord said to Adam. In addition to being a sinner, you commit personal sins. And as a result, you don't meet God's righteousness standard. God requires perfection for you to get into heaven. So being a good person or trying to work your way into heaven with good but imperfect deeds does not impress God at all. Well, this gospel message is the good news concerning what the Lord did to fix the bad news for sinners. Jesus Christ paid a price with his blood so that you can be saved. And responding to his gospel message is your chance to have a personal relationship with him. Here's what the Lord said to a self-righteous Pharisee, Nicky D. In John chapter 3, verse 3, he said, Truly I say to you, unless you are born again to spiritual birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God the Father in heaven. And again, that was shocking to Nicodemus. God the Father wants you in heaven. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind. And that while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, God the Father sent the, the Christ to die a sacrificial death for us. Now notice, sinners are unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers. If you're a believer in Christ, you are not ungodly, unrighteous, and an unbeliever. You are godly, righteous, and a believer. Now, this gospel message, who is the God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried, and then he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. Absolute righteousness is the admission ticket to heaven. It is the key to eternal life, the resurrection life, and it's yours free of charge right now if you want it. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 11. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For what the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness, which is your admission ticket to heaven, and what the mouth a person confesses, choosing faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. Romans 10, 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be disappointed. So heed the invitation and the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. There is hell, a very real place, and it is, it is described this way in the Bible. Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 to 43. The Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, will send forth his elect angels. And they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, unbelievers, and those who commit lawlessness, unbelievers. And the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For those without a relationship in Christ, he'll just ask them to step to the left and take the elevator. Just press down. Getting to heaven, though, is easy. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. Sinners need a Savior, and that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him, and you will be saved. Well, let's close with some music. In John chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, the Lord Jesus Christ meets a Samaritan woman. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. John 4, 8, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. John 4, 9, and therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Had no dealings means they hated the Samaritans. John 4, 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God the Father... And if you knew who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. After telling her all about her life and after evangelizing to her, the woman marveled at Jesus' wisdom. And she ran home to tell her friends about the experience. John chapter 4 verse 29 says, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, the Messiah, is it? Let's close with music as we hear four of the most powerful words ever written in song. His name is Jesus. Here's June Murphy to sing, Come See a Man. Thank you. 
Just to allow it all. 
His name is what? Jesus. Jesus. Yes, it is. A doxology of praise to our God, Philippians 4, 6. Stop worrying about anything, believers in Christ. Instead, in everything, by prayer and petition, with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. And the peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with peace, you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Now to Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling, and the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for giving us the power that you've given us. Power that is as supernatural as the power that resurrected Christ from the dead. And help us to remember every moment that you are here giving us access to that power and that we can use it on anything we want that is in line with your will. Help us to know what is in your will. Help us to know what it is you expect us to do here in Satan's kingdom and give us the courage to act on what we learn. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Say it with some enthusiasm with me. Amen. 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 Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching.